opportunity to gather together and, and encourage one another and, and read the word together, talk about the real issues of life together. It's an encouragement to me. I too want to welcome you that are visiting. It's especially good to have you here and trust that you can find your time profitable and, and of, of good value as well. We have so much to be thankful for. I trust that you're here this morning with a thankful spirit. God has blessed us in, in so many, in so many rich ways. And that doesn't mean that, that life has been all smooth sailing. Certainly not. I mean, there's are, there are those among us here this morning that have been through difficult and, and dark days, and days of much sorrow, and days of, of wondering what God has in store. Certainly there is. And then there are many more of us that are here this morning that have just sort of been going through the more of the normal routines of life without major bumps in the road. But yet, even in that, we have our own set of challenges. But in the midst of it all, God is faithful. And I find that time after time, God is faithful. And God gives us the strength whether the days look unbelievable or whether they look just like another day God gives us the strength uh, to face what he has allowed into our lives I'd like to share some thoughts this morning from Psalm 66 and you can turn to that it's a psalm of, of much joy it's a psalm that gives praise and glory to God for what he has done and what he continues to do for his people. And so the psalmist gives an invitation. In verse 5 he says, Come and see what God has done. Come and see. And he's speaking here more about what God has done in the past for his people. How God has led. How God has shown his power and strength. Uh, to those in the past. In verse 5 we see that. Come and see the works of God. And then in verse 16 we have another invitation. Come and hear. Come and hear what God hath done for my soul. And that is speaking more about what God is doing for me personally. Even today. Come and see what God is doing for me. I have something to tell you, in other words. God has been working in my life, and it's something that I, that I want to share, was the psalmist. That's what he was saying, basically. And I trust that each one of you could say the same thing today. Now, I know sometimes we are rather tight-lipped when it comes to sharing a testimony, but we ought not be. And I don't, I don't mean to scold you in any undue way, but... but all of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior have something to say. We have something to share. God has done much for us. And certainly, God has done something and many things for each one of you in the past week that if you had the opportunity and were willing to, you could say something about it. 
And so there's an invitation here this morning going out for us to remember what God has done in the past and for us to also remember and realize the working of God today, currently, in our life personally. Follow along as I read this psalm. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. He ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth have spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt offerings, burnt sacrifices of fatlings, with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Amen. We'll call this message this morning, Worthy of Glory. Now, who is worthy of glory? It's God. God is worthy of glory because of His mighty power in His working with His people over the years. But this morning we want to look at four things. God is worthy of glory because of His power, because of His provision, because of His protection, and because of His presence. And we see those in this psalm here this morning. God is worthy of glory this morning because of his great power. Let's just note here what the psalmist says about God's power. Verse 3. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. The enemies of God submit to him. Or the NIV uh, uses the language this way. It says, they cringe before you. <laughs> what a, a picture of dominant power. Uh, you, can you, you see that picture of, of the enemies just, just cringing before God. That's power. That's power. In other words, he's saying, God, you're so great that the enemies, they just cringe before you. <laughs> they, they're done. They just give up. You're powerful, God. In that way. 
And then verse 4, we read that all the earth bows down to him and sings to him. All the earth bows to God and sings to him. And I'm reminded of the verses there in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. That's everyone. And that, it, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're speaking right now about the power of God, that he's worthy of glory because of his great power. I also note in verses 5 and 6 that the power of God is seen in the lives of his people. And we have the example of the Israelites there at the Red Sea. And we'll look into that a little bit more uh, shortly. But he says, come and see what God has done. Uh, come and see the awesome works that he has performed uh, for his people. He turned the sea into dry land. That's powerful. To take a, to take a huge body of water like that and to push it back, make a way through that, through that Red Sea, and then dry at that. For it to be dry, that's power. That's something that man cannot do. Only God can do something like that. Verse 7. God's power is endless. It's forever. It's exhaustless. We read, He ruleth by His power forever. God's power isn't just for a, a short spurt of time. It's not just while He has the strength, no. But God's power is forever. It's hard for us to understand some of these things as, as human beings. We know that we can go for a certain amount of time and then we're tired. <laughs> then we're out of strength. But not God. God's power is forever. Another thing in verse 7 I see. His eyes behold the nations. I see that God's power is made known here and that He has a commanding eye, as it were. He has a commanding eye. From His position there, high in the heavens... He has clear view of the whole world. He has a commanding eye over the inhabitants of the world. He has a clear view of each and every one of us. The power of God. The scripture says that his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. That's powerful. You know, the power of God can be seen all around us. The power of God is evident in our lives each and every day. And were it not for the sustaining power of God, we would not be here this morning. But God gives us the strength. God empowers us to live. Our very life and breath is, is in His hand. He has the power to give it. He has the power to take it. And so we are here because of the sustaining power of God. Let's note a few other areas where God's power is seen. Think about in creation. The scripture says that by the word of God, 
were the heavens made. The world came into being by the word of his mouth. And then you can read down through Genesis chapter 1, time and time again where it says, let there be, God speaking, let there be, and it was so. Let there be, and it was so. Time and time again. Uh, the whole world came into being by the word of God. Talk about power, tremendous power in creation. And there in Psalm 33, we read, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And verse 9 says, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Just like that. The incredible power of God in creation. And we can observe God's power in creation each and every day around us as we observe uh, the trees and, and the flowers, how you know, this is a beautiful time of year when these things are coming to life again after, after the uh, winter time. And we see the birds around us and, and we see the, the sun rise in the morning and the sunset. And, and all of these things point to the great and powerful creator. We also see the power of the creator in a new little life, a new little baby that is born. And how God can take nothing, as it were, and create something of such value and worth that money could never buy. It's the power of God. We also see the power of God in, in weather and in natural disasters. The power that we see in thunderstorms and, and hurricanes and tsunamis and, and tornadoes and all these things, they should point our thoughts directly to God and to who He is. A little illustration here about uh, the power of, of, the, of nature. How many of you remember when Mount St. Helen erupted? Some of you do. I, I wasn't born yet. Um, but I've heard about it, and I just want to mention a few facts about that, that tremendous eruption. But it was on May 18, 1980, uh, that Mount St. Helen erupted there in the state of Washington. And it is said that that, at least up to that time, was probably the, the greatest uh, visible indication of power, at least in nature, that, that the world has ever seen. At about 8.32 that morning, uh, that explosion ripped off 1,300 feet of that mountain with a force of 10 million tons of TNT, or roughly equal to 500 atomic bombs. You've probably seen pictures of, of uh, Hiroshima, Japan, after the atomic bomb was, was dropped there in World War II. And... I'm told that this would have been equivalent to maybe 500 of those. It's hard to fathom. But 60 people were killed, most by a blast of 300 degree heat that was traveling at 200 miles an hour. And some were killed as far as 16 miles away. And the blast also leveled big 150 foot Douglas fir trees as far as 17 miles away. I read that a total of 3.2 billion board feet of lumber were destroyed, enough to build 200,000 three-bedroom homes. <laughs> 
Tremendous. Tremendous. Uh, her talking about the power of God displayed through nature, through storms, through natural disasters. It's hard to comprehend. And, and you know, storms and, and disasters like this don't typically leave people in a joyful mood or, or very happy. But yet, at the same time, they are very effective in pointing us to something much bigger than ourselves. In pointing us to a powerful God. I also note the power of God in physical healing. You know, how God can take someone that is so close to death, at least humanly speaking, is, is pretty well gone, and can bring that person back and, and make them very useful and able to go about life once again is an incredible uh, scene of God's power. And Bevan, I think about you time and time again as it relates to this. Because we all know how low you were. And the Lord saw fit to, to heal you in an amazing way. And, and you could sit there this morning and teach the men's Sunday school class and, and in a very good and profitable way. And, and we, we thank God and praise Him for situations like that and others that we know of as well. And certainly we thank God for, for skilled doctors, but at the same time we realize that they have what they have because of God. And there in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, I am the Lord that healeth thee. It's really through the power of God that we experience these things. I also think of the power of God as it relates to a life that is changed, a changed life. And perhaps there's no clearer evidence of the power of God than through a life that was living for self and pursuing the things of the world and of the devil. And then God takes that person and changes them completely around so that they're now living through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ, a life that brings him honor and glory. That's power that probably cannot be matched. I think of the verse that, uh, that we, we say often, but it's very important. There in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And that's, that's the transforming power of Jesus Christ. The transforming power of Jesus Christ. How it, it takes the old and replaces it with, with a new thing, uh, a new heart, a new hunger, New habits, by the way, I, I stole that little phrase from Gerald years ago. A new heart, a new hunger, and new habits. The transforming power of Jesus Christ. You could look at, at many examples in the scripture of people that were transformed. Uh, think of, of Peter, that rough character fisherman who uh, then became a pillar of the early church. Uh, you could think of, of the demon-possessed man there in Mark chapter 5 that was wild and uncontrollable. But when God got, or when Jesus got a hold of him there that day, the people found this man sitting and clothed and in his right mind. <laughs> That's a uh, radical change. Uh, we could think of Saul, who was out persecuting and, and killing Christians. 
That was his goal. But there when God got a hold of him on, the, on that road that day, God changed him around. And Saul became Paul, who was then a loving brother and a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we could think of that cold-hearted Philippian jailer that when God got a hold of him, uh, he turned into a, a very sympathetic friend. Just thinking about the great change that comes about when people meet the Lord. There's real power there that's unmatched. And no doubt we know people today uh, that we could add to that list. And the fact is that each one of us who know Christ could be added to that list as well. We each, before we came to Christ, lived for ourselves and for what, for what we could get out of life, for the flesh. And now as we live for Christ, God can use us for his honor and glory. Well, God is also worthy of glory because of his provision. And verse 6 here in our text says, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. That doesn't sound like the way you normally go through floods, does it? <laughs> they went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in him. And the psalmist here is, is recalling the story of the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And we read that back in Exodus chapter 14. But here's a, here's a situation where there was no way out. And Pharaoh and his army were coming on fast. And they were coming behind them. And the, and the Red Sea was in front. The army was behind them. And, and it was over. Humanly speaking, they were done. And, and I believe God loves situations like that. When, when we feel like we are at our wit's end, that there is no way out. We've done everything we could and there is, we're done. Because it's, it's an opportunity then for God to come and show his power and to receive great glory. There in Exodus chapter 14, God said at least three times that, that this would be a means of gaining him glory through Pharaoh and his army. He said, I'm doing this, I'm going to deliver you in order to gain glory. Well, God had a plan, and he provided a way of escape. There in Exodus 14, verses 21 and 22, we read, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. <laughs> wow. Incredible power. But yet we're talking right now about the provision. Remember, they were done. There was no way out. But God made a way. God made a way. Turn to Isaiah 43. It's interesting that the prophet Isaiah even speaks of this. of the great provision uh, that God made for his people back there many years ago. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct they are quenched as tow. 
Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. The wonderful provisions uh, that God brings to his people, to his chosen ones. You see, God has a special place in his heart for his people. He loves them dearly. He loves us dearly. He wants what is best for us. And he hears our cry. We spoke this morning in our Sunday school class the fact that God is the God of all comforts. God loves to comfort his people in difficult times. And here in, in, in the story of, of the Israelites there in Exodus chapter 14 uh, that is referred to here in Isaiah, we have how God met a need in an amazing way when supposedly there was no way out. God stepped in. And the prophet Isaiah said that God's people should show forth his praise. When we have experienced the goodness of God, when we have experienced the hand of God at work in our lives, then we ought to praise him and thank him for it. And I'm sure that we could each think of, of times in our life when God provided for us in, in unexpected ways, whether it was physical needs or financial needs or or maybe uh, the car broke down along the highway somewhere, or you name it. You can, I'm sure there's something that comes to your mind that God did. God had a provision for you in the time of your great need. At times when we felt like every human effort was exhausted, and we were simply out of options. But then God stepped in and helped us. Well, no, God was there all along. But in, in our eyes, we might have wondered, shame on us. But sometimes I believe that, that God wants to pull out every human possibility. He wants to pull that out of the way so that we can more clearly see God for who he really is. That this is of God, that he alone is sufficient. I could have never done this and no one else could do it. I was out of options. But God, God alone is sufficient. Someone has said, when you have nothing left but God, then for the first time you become aware that God is enough. <laughs> yes, that's, that's often how it is. Well, verse 6, back in Psalm 66, verse 6 says, There did we rejoice in him. Uh, the, the, the Israelites realized that this was of God. This thing was of God. And in Exodus 14, the last verse of that chapter, after that story, we read, And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did. <laughs> which the Lord did. They realized that this was not something that man could have ever done. But they realized this is what the Lord did. And it was a cause for much rejoicing. It was a real celebration. And what, what did they do? What did they do? Immediately after that great deliverance. 
They had a hymn sing. <laughs> they started singing. That should be a good example for us. Uh, singing should be a spontaneous response to the deliverance of God in our lives. And it was for the children of Israel here. Uh, Moses and Miriam led them in songs of joy because of the victory and the deliverance that they experienced. You know, oh, what joy we feel when we have experienced the provision of God. You know, when you take, when you take great difficulties and you couple it with unexpected outcomes, it produces great joy. It truly does. But let us never forget uh, what the greatest provisions are. You see, the greatest provisions that we experience are not the physical ones. The greatest provisions that we as people experience are the spiritual ones. In Romans 5 verse 8 we read, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a way of escape. That's a way out when there was nothing we could do. There was no hope. But God made a way. And in Ephesians 2 verse 4, well just prior to the verse 4, the Apostle Paul was reminding us of the awful state that we were in and hopeless and without God, living for ourselves. And then you have, but God. And I'd just like to note the significance of what comes after that, that short three-letter word, but. And, and typically, when you have a sentence or when you have a thought, with the word but in the middle, typically the latter part is more important than the first part. Uh, like, for example, if I would tell my wife, honey, I love you so much, but... <laughs> then she's really going to be all ears because she realized that what I'm going to say next is a little more important than the fact that what I said first. Okay, so that's just a little illustration um, of, of what I'm saying here, and that is that, yes, we were... We were hopeless. Without Christ, there was no way out. But God, this is the big deal now. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, made us alive with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's provisions that we ought to give honor and glory to God for. He ought to receive much praise from us because of the spiritual provisions that we have received. Whenever you see that phrase, but God, may it remind you of the provisions of God, His answer to the problems of life. Well, thirdly then, God is worthy of glory because of His protection. Because of his protection. And the psalmist David was certainly a qualified person uh, to talk about protection. We could look at many instances where David was, was physically in harm's way and God delivered him. God protected him. And David often gives recognition to God as the one who keeps us and saves us. Here, verse 9 of our text, Psalm 66, verse 9, we read, which holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. Or, the NIV says, He has preserved our lives. He has kept our feet from slipping. Psalm 68.20 says, Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. The protection 
that God grants his people. And once again, I recall the story there of the Israelites in, in Exodus chapter 14. You know, the, the Egyptian army was soon to catch them, and the people are just afraid for their lives. They're complaining to Moses that you know, it would have been better if we could just be back in Egypt. It'd be better if we were back there working for Pharaoh. Then we wouldn't be so scared for our lives. And here we're going to die in the desert, and it's going to be terrible. And God provided a unique means of protection for his people. You remember how God designed a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them. We could read about that. We won't write the moment. But God designed this unique means of protection to lead them through. Well, in Exodus chapter 14, we see then how God changed things up a bit in order to bring them protection from the Egyptians. Verse 19 of Exodus 14 says, And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So it was a cloud and darkness to them, in other words, to the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, to the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. That's beautiful. That's the protection that God grants his people. The Israelites were in grave danger, and God protected them. And then the scripture goes on to say that when they saw the great works that God had done, it caused them to fear the Lord and to believe in him. Once again, the honor and glory goes to God. You know, sometimes we wonder why we have to go through uh, times of trial, why we have to go through times of danger. You know, what's the point of all this? Why can't life just be a little easier at times, we wonder? Well, here in our text, the psalmist says that God allows these things. God allows difficult times. And note there the, the word thou, verses 10, 11, and 12. For thou, O God, has proved us. Thou hast tried us. Verse 11, thou broughtest us. Thou laidst affliction. Verse 12, thou hast caused men. Thou. It's something that God allows in our lives to refine us, to mold us, to make us, to conform us more into the image of his Son. You know, God wants to rid us of the impurities uh, that are in our lives. And certainly as human beings, there's impurities there. Too often, too many. But God wants to, to rid us of that and to draw us closer to himself. But I'm so thankful this morning that God doesn't leave us in those times of trials and testing and, and discouragement. God doesn't leave us there. But no, the end of verse 12 says, But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. God really does what's best for us. He wants, he wants what is best for us. He desires to bring us to a place of abundance. And I believe that we find that place as we allow God to do that refining work in our lives. We don't find that place of abundance through an easy life. No. We find the place of abundance as we say, 
yes, God, I'm willing to let you work in my life. I'm willing to let you do what you need to do to make me more like you. And we come out better because of it. I think about the Apostle Paul. He also had a testimony of God's protection in his life. And you can turn to that for several verses in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 8 through 10. Here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about how God had protected him. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. It's a beautiful testimony that the Apostle Paul had there. He said that God allowed this to happen so that they would, that they would trust him more. So that they would start, stop thinking about themselves and, and, and think more about the Lord. Rely on him for strength. And then he spoke of God's protection throughout life. He said, God has been with us in the past. God is, is with us today. And so we know that we can trust him in the future. For whatever comes, God is faithful. You see, when we have experienced the protection of God, it should call for something from us. It should be much more than just, whew, that, that was close. Boy. We almost didn't get out, but I'm glad we did, you know, and then go along our merry way. No, it should be much more than that. It should turn our focus to God and say, thank you, Lord. I realize that that was from you. I realize that, that you were there. You were watching, and you delivered. Times like that should, should cause us to stop and give glory to God. Uh, they should cause us to fear Him and to trust Him more. Uh, times like that should cause us to examine our relationship with God. But it also reminds us of the great love and care that God has for His people, for His chosen people. God loves His people. Well, lastly then, I note that God is worthy of glory because of His presence. Because of His presence. Our text says, uh, the last few verses here of Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. The presence of God in our life. Where would we be this morning without the presence of God in our life? Just to know that God sees, and God hears, and God cares. It should put joy in our heart. It should put a spring in our step. It should give us confidence as we face the days ahead. To know that God hears us. He cares about the things that are distressing to us. And the prophet Isaiah 
He talks about that. He says, when thou pass through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When you walk through the fire, you're, you won't be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle against thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He says, fear not, for I am with thee. You know, I remember as a child how going out in the dark used to give me the creeps. And from time to time, Mom uh, would, would get us to take the slop out or the trash out or something after supper in the dark. And, and we just knew that something was probably going to jump out behind the corn crib or the tractor shed or something. And, boy, it was just so scary, you know. It's just so scary. But now, <clears throat> from time to time... Two of us would go out together, and now it was completely different. Now it wasn't scary anymore. It might have been just as dark, and, and the corn crib was still there, and the tractor shed was still there, but, but it was two of us, and it made all the difference. Well, that's the picture I get when I think of these verses. These verses here in, in Psalm 66 and also in Isaiah, God promises to be with us, to walk with us, through those times of fear, in those times of danger. He longs to be a friend to us, to talk with us. God takes away our fear and He replaces it with courage. God takes away our weakness and He replaces it with strength. God takes away our loneliness and He gives to us His friendship. He gives to us His friendship. Oh, the difference uh, that the presence of God makes in one's life. A poet has penned these words. No distant Lord have I, loving afar to be. Made flesh for me, he cannot rest until he rests in me. Ascended now to God, my witness there to be. His witness here am I. Because His Spirit dwells in me. That's beautiful. The ever indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that guides us and walks with us and teaches us, shows us the right way to go. You know, when the Spirit of God dwells within us, uh, we are made alive. It quickens us. We can experience that deep and full relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, a close friendship with Him. And so here in Psalm 66, uh, David is expressing his thanks and praise to God for hearing Him, for not withholding His mercy and His love from Him, but he's giving glory to God for His presence in his life. And the promise of God is to each one of us this morning, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What a promise. That's the God we serve this morning. Well, brothers and sisters, once again, we, we have so much to be thankful for. <laughs> and maybe after a message like this, uh, we have much more to be thankful for as we consider it anew. Not necessarily new thoughts, but good reminders, I trust, for all of us. God is worthy of glory because of his power, because of his provision because of his protection, and because of his presence. And may we be quick to say with the psalmist, Come and hear all ye that fear God, 
and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. I trust that's your testimony and your desire this morning. We'll call for a song at this time.